for uh, joining us here at Mercy Fellowship. Can you just thank Ben for leading us this morning? Coming in from Ben, it's awesome to get to have him. And uh, like I said, if you're with us online, welcome. Glad you're staying safe. Um, we've got cookies and coffee. So I don't know what you have back at your house, but if you didn't have cookies, you didn't make it in, sorry. It's, uh, th- those cookies aren't for you. And so um, uh, what we are going to be doing today is, is while you know, the snow's in here and, and, and we're all cozy here in the building, we've got the fire going and we're Wherever you're at, um, at home, um, like like the calendar keeps moving, right? And time keeps marching on. And so we're just walking right through um, our uh, series that we started at the beginning of the year called Endure, Finding Courage in Weakness, um, looking uh, at the letter of 2 Corinthians uh, that Paul wrote to this church. And so today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 18. And so if you're used to looking at uh, the Bible on your phone and that's where you're watching service right now, you might need to actually go get like a, a physical Bible uh, and you can go get it and, and open it and, and see where we're going to be at today. And so um, while you're grabbing your Bible, uh, while you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, and we're going to get into it here in just a moment, um, I want um, you to ask yourself, where or how um, do you just feel a, a little stuck? Like, like, what is it where we're relying on things at times that have outlasted their usefulness? We're not seeing the flourishing we want to see. We're not seeing progress uh, in our lives. And, and there's reasons, I believe, that we do this. And one of those reasons is that I think that we can be very, like, kind of just satisfied if we have something in our life that we think works for us. Conversely, if it's not working for us, then um, we immediately become enamored with anything that sounds like new. Which I think is odd, that just like adding the word new to something, uh, we somehow think makes it better. When I drive around and see houses for sale in our area and the real estate signs say, new price, I'm like, if the price is higher because there's a bidding war, new is not exciting. I liked it better at 550 than I did at 600, right? And so a new is not always better, but there's something in us that we are a people who just get captivated with new. We despise old, and so we always want to upgrade. Uh, and so um, th- you're going to see that this concept matters as we look at these verses, talking about something kind of deep in terms of, of the old covenant, the Old Testament, the new covenant that has come in Christ. And so today, as we break down this text into three different sections, we're going to see that we need courage to embrace the glory of God that he has for us today. And, and in doing that, it means there's going to be times we're going to have to forsake what is obsolete. We're going to see as well that we need eyes and hearts that are open to to see where courage can be found. Um, And and then when, and this is what we're calling the sermon, when courage is unveiled, then we can actually be emboldened and and empowered to enjoy freedom and hopefully to uh, embody uh, real positive transformation that we need. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, tune in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3. And we're going to be, uh, start with verses 7 through 11. I'll read them and then we'll talk about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 says this. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more what is permanent have glory. Okay, we got some glory, some permanent, we got a lot of different things going on. So let me just explain what is going on here. As Paul wrote this letter to this church that had a whole bunch of issues, they, they needed, there was unforgiveness, there was sexual sin, there was brokenness and greed and, and all these things. Um, you know, he has kind of shown them where their hope is. He said, hey, you guys, part of your problem and what's led you astray is that you've started to entertain a whole bunch of other theological ideas and those have come from these other preachers and teachers who have shown up to Corinth and what they're doing is in a sense, we said last week, giving you, giving us, giving them a watered down, less than gospel. And nobody's like, yeah, I want, I want watered down, I want weak. And like, no, we don't, we don't want that. But it, it didn't get sold and packaged as watered down gospel. Instead, where our culture venerates new, and we love new, the Hebrew culture, and the Corinthian culture, to an extent, they valued what's old. Because to them, that meant it was timeless. It meant that it was true. It meant that it was reliable. And so these preachers and teachers came in and said, oh, yeah, you know what would just make the gospel just a, a little bit better? Is if you just added in a little bit more legalism. Like, hey, you know, I, I know that you say you want to worship the God of the Bible, uh, and, and you're talking so much about Jesus, and that's great, but let's talk about Moses a bit. I mean, did, did you know that like Moses uh, was used by God to help lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and, and you know, God met him on a mountain and, and brought him these laws? So, so let's just focus back on these old laws, on the old covenant, the promise that God made with his people. And, and really, that's where you're going to find your power. And so... What it was was kind of like what we do today, right? When we're like, man, our, our country is just falling apart. Our culture is terrible. And we're like, you know what we need? We all need some old-time religion, right? We need to go back to a time of much better morality. And I would just simply submit to you, when was that? When was it that we were just crushing it? Because... If the gospel is going to be good news, then it can't just be focused on outward appearances, on moral be behaviors, um, but even to the point of this. See, these guys weren't trying to come in and just, you know, come up with all sorts of new ideas. They were actually, they were going back to the Bible. So in a way, they were, they were, they were teaching the, the, the Bible. They were being, what we would say, biblical. And yet I just need to be clear, like, we're Bible people here. We love God's word here at Mercy Fellowship. Like, like this, is what we, this is what we chew on. This is what uh, God has given us, and we're so thankful for it. But, but you can be biblical and not give good news. And so these guys were, were coming in with the law and coming in with the regulations and coming in with the legalism. And yeah, you can find that verse, and you can, you can find that instruction. 
but it's not in the greater narrative of what is good news because see, when they're like, oh yeah, Moses got the law from God, like they're kind of neglecting like who was the big hero in that story. And so um, where God has, has led his people out of slavery, I mean, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were dealing with far worse oppression or persecution than we could ever imagine. And God with like a mighty and miraculous hand, he brought them out and then he led them through the Red Sea. He led them through the the wilderness, and then they get up on the mountain. And so in this, we see that God is a bondage breaker. He's a freedom giver. He's a wilderness leader well before he becomes or shows himself as the law giver. See, the law was given to saved people. The law was given to led people. The law was given to people who had had their bondage broken and their freedom given to them. And so Um, Moses goes to the top of this mountain, Mount Sinai. We're actually going to look at it in Exodus chapter 34, so you can flip back to the Old Testament, or it'll be up on the screen as well. In Exodus 34, Moses has gone up to this mountain while God's people have been led around in the wilderness. And as Paul's talking about, you know, this ministry of death and fading glory and all that, here it is in Exodus 34, verse 29. This is the Old Testament text that Paul's preaching from. Paul's like, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's preach good news out of this. And he says this, verse 29 says this in Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony, right? Those are, those are the, the Ten Commandments in his hands. He came down from the mountain. Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking to God. See, Moses spent time with the Lord. His face changed. He was like, oh, this is, like, he didn't even know it. Like, like he came down from the mountain. Everyone was like, well, Moses, where, where you been, man? Like, like you're radiating from your skin. All right, keep going. Aaron, that's his brother, all the people of Israel saw Moses. Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Right? I think if you see some guy with a blazing face who's come off a mountain, who, who's also helped lead you through the wilderness, you're probably going to be a little freaked out, right? Verse 31. But Moses called to them, and Aaron, all the leaders of the congregation, returned to him. And Moses talked to them, and after all the people of Israel came near, he commanded all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Hold on to that imagery, okay? Put a veil over his face. Verse 34. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he'd remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what was commanded. Verse 35, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So, on like the spectrum of miracles, can we say Moses being at the top of a mountain, being handed tablets, chiseled in by the Lord that, that gave the Ten Commandments, Like, I think we can talk about that as a bit of a high point, right? We can talk about that and say that is absolutely significant. Exodus is so significant for us to understand God's power and his grace and and his law. And so he's come down from a mountain. He's got these tablets written with stone. And in case the people were doubting Moses' experience, right? They're like, well, maybe Moses just went up there and he did some masonry on some rocks and brought it down. And I guess we'll just listen to him now. Like, this glory shone from his face, other times in the Old Testament, it's described as the Shekinah glory of God. It's this, this radiating, reflecting glory of God. And they're like, whew, that is, that is hard to be around. And yet, while well, we'd be like, oh my gosh, that, that, that's something that's going to last forever, right? Well, 
at times, right, Moses' face and that glory that was shining would, would fade. And we'll see that it wasn't built to endure. In a sense, it's not meant to endure. And, and Paul, if you go back to verses in 2 Corinthians, he kind of says, hey, there's three reasons that that old covenant, as exciting as it was to get tablets from the, from, from the Lord and have uh, the glory come down and be given the Ten Commandments, that, that there's three big problems with it. I'll walk through them quickly. Number one, he says this, this covenant, it kills. As much as it shines glory, it actually leads to death. And, it, and I want to be clear, it's not that the law is somehow wrong or, or like don't follow it. Right? You're not going to hear me say, like, yeah, you know what? Ten Commandments, who needs them? Right? Go, go through those. Find one that's like not applicable anymore. You're not. Right? They, they, this is a good law from a good God. Like, these are, these are good things to do. If you're looking at the Ten Commandments and you're trying to find fault in them, you're going to lose the debate about pure worship of the Lord, about loving one another not coveting, no adultery, no murder, no lying. Like, I mean, guys, these are, I mean, you think we can, we can follow 10, right? 10 rules we can do, right? I think Jordan Peterson has 12, so he had to add a couple, right? Okay. The issue and why we say that, that this kills is that while these laws were given from the life giver, tablets of stone don't give us life. They don't give us the ability to turn away from sin. They don't give us the power to walk these laws out. And so you can be told to do something, even the right thing. I mean, I talk about this with my kids sometimes. I'm like, just do the right thing you know what to do. And, and then I'm frustrated with them when they don't. And yet I'm not much different. We're not much different. I, I met for the first time this week with a, with a naturopath to kind of you know, help me now as I get a little bit older and, and whatnot. And he's like, yeah, we're going to figure out your food allergies and, and then we'll just eliminate those things from your diet. And I was like, oh, yeah, just give me the list of things not to eat. And I won't do that, which I've never done in my lifetime ever. I know what the list is. We all know what the list is. All the good things, right? And so, right, you can be told this is a good thing. This will lead to life. This will lead to joy. This will lead to flourishing. And then you're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. And then you try to walk, and it just, it doesn't happen. Tablets of stone aren't going to give us life. All right, number two. He says this ministry, the law, actually brought condemnation. We were talking about this at staff meeting, and somebody said, ooh, ministry of condemnation. We're not starting that ministry, are we? No, right? Nobody's like, hey, let me come to that church. I heard they got a great condemnation ministry going. Maybe they got, well, there's redemption groups, right? But maybe they've got rebuke groups. Can I join one of those? No, and the reason being is, well, the law is good and, and right. That means if we failed the law, then that's wrong and that's bad. That we're, we're failing to, to walk out what, what an eternal God has given us to do, then there's going to be, guys, I hate to break it, to eternal consequences, Right? The big thing we're striving for as a society, we say, is justice. Well, the problem is we've all uh, sinned against a just and holy God, so justice then means that we get just consequences. And so the law doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. And so this covenant showed us the seriousness and the shamefulness of sin and, and how that actually does lead to, to, to death. And so the third thing Paul says is that this covenant is, is temporary and transient. Death, condemnation, all these things are used to describe a covenant that Paul says is, is glorious. 
It's like we are learning things about God. We are learning things about God's holiness, about what flourishing life looks like. But he's like the, the glory of that covenant of being given the law alone, even with Moses' shining face, is temporary. It can't endure, and we know it doesn't. Right? Just, just go ahead and read through the rest of the Old Testament or, or even just think about where our society's at at this moment. And you realize that people can't just endure in pursuing perfection and hope that it goes well. The Israelites' faithfulness faded just like Moses' face did. And God's promise, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to act accordingly. And, and, and they don't. They fail. We fail. And so when that failure happens, when sin happens, there is a separation that needs to be dealt with. And so God's people for generations failed to live this out. And you just see it spiral downward and downward and downward. And where, where, where they're at this point where they've, they've gotten this law come down from the mountain and they've been led through the wilderness. God's people get a promised land. They get some victory. But, but then generations go. And God's people who, to be clear, have not been faithful to these Ten Commandments or to the law. They find themselves in exile. When I say find themselves, it's not like, um, like they just kind of like tripped and oh no, we're in exile. There were actual, tangible, real-world today consequences to sin. And for God's people, he said, yeah, yeah you're, you're actually going to be in exile, away from the promised land, in, in uh, overlords who are, who are pagan, who are not for you, who do not love the Lord. And so God's people are in this colossal individual and societal collapse, and, and, and that's not good news. And so thankfully, like, that's not the last news we have because none of that's good news. And in the midst of, in the midst of individual pain, family suffering, religious communities torn apart, society itself, just the fabric of it being distorted, the rise of nations uh, that, that just, just brought fear to God's people. It's in those moments that God actually spoke to his people with prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and, and said, even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of this darkness, there's hope. And the hope isn't, let's get back to that mountain back there. Let's get back to that time of Moses. He said, no, actually, the hope is something that's going to be coming, something that's in the future. And, and this hope is shown in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says this, this is this prophet um, hundreds of years before Jesus, but hundreds of years after Moses. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, he says this. He says, behold. Like, hey, focus up. Here's the, get your attention grounded. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I'll make a, a what? He says a new covenant. With the house of Israel, the house of Judah, right? It's, it's God's people. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so here's God in the midst of their darkest season, their darkest hour of distress. And God says, hey, there's hope. I'm actually, like, the hope isn't y'all just do better at the promises. The hope is, I know you've failed. I know you've sinned. I know you've been faithless. I know you've broken the covenant. But God says, my love for you, my faithfulness to you, my endurance is unbreakable. And so he says, I'm giving you a new covenant that is better than the one to come. And this is a covenant that is fulfilled in Christ where he's given this this covenant that is marked by righteousness, empowered by the Spirit. It it will permanently endure. And so I just want to be really, really clear when we think about suffering, we think about sin and brokenness. God has not failed people have. God's not failed you. People have. Sometimes we've, we've failed. And so God's answer for, for the wicked kingdoms of the world is he's going to be king. God's answer for our, our sin is he's the sacrifice. God's answer for our faithlessness in the old covenant is a new covenant. So he's going to forgive sin and be with his people. And this This issue of sin is dealt with because Jesus is the sacrifice. He's gone to the cross for our sins and died in our place. So the separation's not necessary. And so uh, he says the law is not going to be written on stone like it was in Sinai. In fact, I'm just going to write it on on your hearts. And so the promise is renewed here and it's it's comprehensive. That's what what I love about the promises of God is, is yes, he says, hey, the consequences of your sin that are eternal, they're, they're dealt with like wrath, no more. Like, praise God for that. Like, we should, we should be encouraged by good news of a good God that says in Christ, in Him being the sacrifice for our sins, that we don't have to worry about eternal wrath from God. But I don't know about you. I, I want more than that. We all, absolutely, to be clear, need that. But we need life with God now, today, because God's people, He says, are in exile. They're disconnected. Hearts are hardened. They're dirty. And so what I love is that God doesn't say, I'm going to build you up into this amazing nation because God's not as excited about the national renewal projects that we get excited about. God wants heart renewal projects for us individually. And then for that to transform our families and our churches and our communities and and Lord willing, our nation and, and, and the world. And so this new covenant, to be clear, is not a return to just try harder again. It's not... Guys, we, we, it's not, back in the day for, for me, it was a Nintendo. That's about as far as the video games I got, right? And you're going along on Mario Brothers, and you're like, I think I'm going to get stuck here. And you just hit the reset button. And then what do you do? You have to start all the way back at the beginning. God's not offering us a reset button. He's offering transformation and renewal, which is far better than, than, than a reset. And so this new covenant is so much better than the old one for, for three reasons. He, uh, Paul's in these verses, he said, well, this new covenant's one of life and spirit. And he's like, hey, life and spirit, that's greater than stone and death. We say this often, and we think about transformation being from outside in, and God's saying, no, no, gospel transformation is inside out. So you can focus all you want on just doing the right things, but God better be making you right and new in your heart if it's going to matter at all, or certainly if it's going to be sustained in any way, shape, or form. 
We are not able to fulfill the law's demands. And so God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's not going to just write the law on our hearts. He's also going to, it says in, in Jeremiah, right, empowers us to walk out this new life. Paul says as well, this is a covenant of righteousness, which is greater than condemnation. We'll see later in 2 Corinthians 5, where, where Paul says, God took him who knew no sin to be sin. He took all of our sin, put it on Jesus, so that in him, in Christ, we can receive and be and have the righteousness of God. And so, just, just know, like, I know it's snowing and it's peaceful and nice out, but so you probably don't want to hear that I'm guilty of sin. You're guilty of sin. But in exchange for our sin, we give that to God. He takes it. He bears it. And he gives us his snow-white perfection. That's, that, is, that, is a, that is a fantastic deal. Like, I'll, I'll just tell you, I like the new covenant. That's better than a new price for the home, right? I like the new covenant because the first one exposes our perpetual failure. The second promises to impart Jesus' perpetual victory. You get perpetual victory as a gift in the new covenant. And where the last covenant was temporary, Paul says this one is permanent. I'm just not excited about transformation and life that's temporary. Because all of a sudden you start to look at life like your cell phone battery. And as it gets down below 40%, it's just like, uh-oh, what's next? Right? I, I, want, I want permanent covenant, right? We need things that are built to last because when, when we rely on things that will wear out, then we will be dis- disappointed, we'll be despondent. And so where that old covenant, like that old covenant was it. That was a for now covenant. The new covenant's a forever covenant. So it will endure for eternity. The tablets that they had at Sinai, right? I mean, you think you write something on a tablet of stone? That's about as permanent as you could get back then, right? What happened to those tablets of stone? Well, at one point they broke, right? Another point they got put into the Ark of the Covenant. I think any of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s know that that covenant's being, that Ark's being watched by top men now, Right? Nothing? Indiana Jones, guys. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Like, it, we don't have that now. It's not permanent. And instead, God says, and I'm going to go ahead and write that covenant, not on these, these permanent blocks of stone that are just going to break and get lost, right? Like, I'm going to write this covenant on your heart and your heart and your heart and my heart. And that means all of a sudden now that that law being written, that life being given isn't temporary and transient, but instead it is, it is personal. It is permanent. And wherever you go or wherever you are, because it's in your heart, it's portable. So we have to lug around backpacks full of tablets of stone to be reminded that God loves us. He just gives us new hearts. So there's good news here. There's good news here. And, and so the, the old covenant, it wasn't discarded. Like, I mean, I, God, we, we, are, we are whole Bible people. All of this book is important. But it's actually fulfilled and ratified by Christ Jesus, right? You could spend time in the New Testament. You'll see that those Ten Commandments, yeah, he drills it down to love God and love people. 
And then we start to realize how comprehensive that is in every aspect of life, in our marriages, in our sexuality, in our finances, in our relationships, in, in business, in, in, in how we engage with community in the church and how we engage with the community out there. And so we're going to continue to love God and love people. And so um, this new covenant is, is just so much better than the old, but, but we need to be able to have eyes to see it. And so 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16 says this, because there's a challenge, right? This, this new covenant, I want to be clear, it is for everyone, but it's not seen by everyone. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He says, since we have such a hope, Talk about that new covenant. Since we have such a hope of, of life, of righteousness, of permanent covenant, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, he says, whenever Moses is red. A veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is freedom. We'll, we'll catch that up in a second. It says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. And so, when we have this new covenant given to us, when, we, when this, this covenant that Paul says is, is glorious and good, when that's unveiled, it should give us uh, greater courage because you know, when, when we are in stages and places of hopelessness, when we don't even know what's the purpose of still putting another foot forward, what's, what's the purpose of trying to endure, like if there's just no hope, when our hope fades, so does our courage. Cowardice comes in, fear overpowers everything when we just don't see a path forward anymore. And so here, we're putting all this effort in and we're trying to make things better and it's just not working. It's not leading to greater joy. It's not leading to greater flourishing. We, we should come to an end of ourselves and remind ourselves that when we are on this journey, that we are not sufficient for ourselves. We, as we've said before, are just not enough. And when we're looking around at things that are temporary and transient, it just leads us to be more discouraged. But because of this great new covenant, he says, we have a greater hope that leads us to greater boldness. And, and I think that that's where, like, we get to, we say all this all the time, like, we, we get to play a game where we know we win. We get to take the field knowing that victory is assured. And that shouldn't lead us to more timidity and fear. It should lead us to, 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 to greater boldness, yes, but also just greater joy and confidence, because when, when it looks like defeat's eminent, when it looks like, like loss is, is the only op option, that victory has no opportunity, and we remember, oh wait, no, we've got a permanent hope and a greater courage. Like, we get to look around and marvel and say, how's the wind going to happen out of this one? And then we get to watch God move and God work, and we get to continue to, to be bold and encouraged when instead we just want to have a veil uh, over our hearts and our eyes that this is like this snuggie where we just stay in the snow and I want to go outside. It's cold. It's, it's, it's miserable out there. I don't want to keep going. Instead, God's like, no, no, no. Take the veil off. Take the snuggie off. Get, let's, let's get outside. Let's get moving. Let's get going. And so... Paul's not slamming Moses here. 
Because Moses, yeah, he took the step, right, to veil the glory. It was radiating from his face. Because he says the issue is the people. When that law came down and Moses' face was glowing, you'd think that'd be enough. When, when they look back and think, we were saved from slavery in Egypt. I mean, we watched God throw down frogs and bloody rivers. And, 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 and oh, wait, we, we watched God march us out with like all of the wealth of Egypt. Wait, we, we got stuck at the Red Sea and we're like, I don't know what's next. I don't know how we move on from this point. God parted it. He led us through. And then we're like, what, what, if, what if the Egyptians want us back? And they're, they've been chasing us. And then they all got to see, they got to see God drown their enemies so they could, they could, flourish and walk and journey knowing the enemies that they're worried about of condemnation, of sin and shame were already drowned and gone. And they're marching around the wilderness and and they've been given victory at times and they've been given this law from Moses. We know that when they were hungry, they were given fresh manna and quail on the daily. Not locally sourced, divinely sourced. God is giving them heavenly food and we're like, that should be enough to endure and to keep going. And yet, just like us, we find ourselves dissatisfied with God's provision and disbelieving God's plan. And so sometimes God's saving and working and providing and leading and we just don't see it. And it doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean God stopped being good. It doesn't mean God stopped being glorious. It's because we don't have eyes to see. It's because there is like a, a veil, it says, covering their hearts and minds. One of my favorite shows 10 years ago was called Friday Night Lights, right? High school football in Texas. It came on and started when we actually lived in Texas. And, and um, it, you know, if, if you want to watch that, and you, now you know why we, why we moved out of Texas. Um, but but like what they would say, uh, the, the football team would all rally up before each game. And, and if you've seen the show, you know what they say, right? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Well, for God's people, for, for us, for people in our community, for those that just need to see the glory of God, it's, 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 it's not clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. It's closed eyes, hard hearts, can't win. And so we need to understand that if we're going to see and behold the glory of God, we can't just go walk around and tell people, like, just open your eyes. Because Paul says that they have a veil over their hearts. They have a veil over their eyes. And and it's not like a see-through one, like on a wedding dress. No, it is, it is an immovable, impenetrable iron curtain. So you can tell them all day long about the glory of God. This is the only way it's going to be seen. The only way that veil is going to be lifted is if Christ does it. The Holy Spirit does it. It says in this weird mystery of how the Holy Spirit and God's sovereignty works and our participation with it, he does call them, and, and we, should, we should call ourselves and call one another, he says, to turn to the Lord, to turn from trusting in ourselves alone, to, to, to turn from, from, from fear and to actually repent of our sin and turn towards the Lord, he said, and the veil's lifted. And so we can't lift this veil on our, on our own. Only Christ can do that, and only Christ will do that. And so he calls us to turn back from looking at what isn't working and turn ahead to to life with him, right? This is why it comes back to that old and new, like why do we keep looking back at that which is obsolete? 
when I, when I was in college and, and I liked running and I wanted to have some music uh, playing, right, you know, you'd have like the little, uh, uh, the Walkman, right? Maybe you could get like a sport Discman, you get a radio and you get to listen to that. And then some friends of mine came out uh, and they had, they had a new MP3 player. I think they could put like a hundred songs on it. Woohoo! But I just had my CD player and, and it's like, so I, t- I called my dad and I was like, dad's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, oh, there's this new MP3 player. And, um, you know, you can get a whole bunch of songs on it. And, and my dad, at the time, he's put, he was putting, I think, actually three people through college, um, working full time and all that. And, and so I think he found this thing called an MP3 player um, at like a Rite Aid. Um, and uh, it, I don't know, guys, it just, it looked like a disc man to me. <laughs> like it was like a CD player that would also play an, a CD with an MP3 on it. And it came with this like bulky, um, a pouch and everything that was supposed to be an armband. And, and, and like, anybody ever ran with a CD player before? I know this is like the most antiquated like thing ever. Like, anybody come here with a horse and buggy today? All right. And, and so like, but, but I had this thing and the only way it would work to play the MP3s on it was if my arm was up like this. And so I'd go for runs in the morning like this. And I'll just tell you that technology already was obsolete. And so I praise God when I go running now that I got thousands of songs on this guy and, you know, and then Apple can listen to me when I run and, you know, collect all the data and all that stuff too, right? They're listening right now, okay? But like, I don't run like this anymore because it's dumb. It's obsolete. It doesn't work. And part of that's because I've been given freedom of something new. And that's what we see in our last verses as we close. Last verses, 17 and 18 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed in the same image, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. See, we're not in bondage of sin anymore in this new covenant. Because where God's Spirit is, where the love of the Lord is, is not bondage and slavery, but freedom and liberty. And so the law just shows us our sin, and that keeps us in bondage. But the Holy Spirit is a chain breaker who breaks us from bondage, gives us the power to, to live out a life of liberty, where we have boldness, where we have courage, where Jesus has already fulfilled the law perfectly for us, so we're freed from condemnation of failure. Or because of the Holy Spirit, that veil, he says, all of us now have unveiled faces. So all of us now have clear eyes and full hearts and can't lose, right? And our hope is in Christ. So we don't have to submit to slavery of sin anymore. And he says here in verse um, 18 that because of our unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding is one of those weird, like, churchy words that we just don't use often uh, in, in normal conversation, but it actually means to, to marvel, to consider, to meditate, to, to study, to revere, to worship. Like, it is a rich, rich word. And, and so what I want us to know is that wherever you're at today, what you behold is what you become. And so if you're beholding marveling and studying sin and brokenness and fear and spending endless hours, you know, looking at the news and all sorts of things. Like, oh, you are just going to get so discouraged. And I'm right there with you guys. 
But he says, no, no, you're, you're, the veil's been removed from your face and your hearts. You don't have to behold the sin and the death and the temporary. You can, you can behold the spirit and the life and the righteousness and the permanence of God. And that in that, he says, there's this transformation that begins, that as we behold the greater glory, he says, it leads to great transformation. Because he says, you're going to be made more like Christ. When your identity's in Christ, now you get salvation now and later, but you get transformation also now and later. And so we have hope and courage to endure, uh, even pursue this change, and, and, and it's, it's a long-haul deal. And so we're not hoping that we're going to be transformed. The text here says, you are being transformed. Little by little, day by day, degree by degree. And so when you're there's times where you're like, man, I just don't feel like I've grown much, or I, I just feel like I'm stuck. Just know it's, it's just another degree of transformation, another degree of change. And so when there's, when there's one degree of change or transformation or hope in your life, that's worthy of celebrating. Because one degree of change is still change. So I just want us as we close to, to be encouraged, to be bold, to be empowered by the freedom that comes from faith in God. And so if there's anything that you find compelling about this, anything that seems like it's good news that there'd be a God who would bring life from death, who would bring righteousness with his condemnation, who would bring something that is, uh, that is unfading and unfailing, with a permanent promise of eternal mercy and grace, just know the only place you're going to find that is in Christ, is in faith in Jesus alone. If your soul is like, yeah, I, I want that, then the Holy Spirit in Christ has already started to just lift up that veil that's been covering your heart, that's been covering your eyes. And if you're in Christ and, and you're just getting tired and you're getting discouraged, and some of you thinks you're going to be more comfortable if you start to just put that iron snuggie over you. Paul is calling you. God's word is calling you. We are calling one another. No, no, don't put that veil on. Just keep turning and beholding the goodness and the glory of God, knowing that in the Holy Spirit, unbelief is replaced with faith. Ignorance with illumination. Fear with hope. And our timidity can be replaced with courage. We have freedom to live and to be transformed as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray.